Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. So we want to welcome everybody on the stream and the podcast today. Uh, Hit the like, subscribe, share. Uh, Notes should be attached. For all of you guys in the service, the notes are back there. Praise the Lord. We're in a week two series called Sons Not Servants. How many of you have enjoyed last week? Right. It's good stuff. Uh, it's who we are, and uh, I'm kind of arranging the preaching schedule, and, uh, you know, the attributes of God have been ringing through my heart for months, and we're going to teach a series about that next year, and it's just so, so exciting to me. Uh, I, I believe my mandate as a pastor is to teach people um, the attributes of God and who they are in Christ, right, and be able to operate in that thing, not just come to church and and enjoy the service and the worship and the people but really knowing who you are right and and knowing that the power that's in you comes from heaven and and if the creator of the universe has this power it's probably juiced a little bit right in baseball they talk about juicing the ball juicing the bat juicing everything i think the power from heaven is super juiced right so luke 15 if you brought a bible if you wanted to go that route or on your your device, whatever. It's just an amazing story of grace, right? We see see the three things that are lost, and it's, uh, you know, the coin, the sheep, and, of course, the son. We read the whole whole story last week. We're just going to read 1522 today because this is what we're focusing on. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, robe of righteousness, and put it on him, put a ring on his hand. We're going to talk about the ring today. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about sandals on his feet. We see that the father, when the son came back, the son had a whole speech prepared, things he was going to say. I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up, Dad. How many of you have groveled in front of one of your parents forever? Hey, Dad, I'm sorry. But the father just cuts him off. And just turns to the servants and says, bring the best robe, bring the best ring, bring some fancy pants shoes. Not a fan of shoes, but if they were expensive shoes, sandals, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know anything about shoes. But they were probably expensive shoes, right? So today we're going to talk about the ring of authority. And rings in scripture, not this one because it's rubber, because it might work, but a ring in scripture always represents authority and you'll see like and uh, look at uh, this is Joseph in Genesis 41 verses 42 and 43 says this he says Pharaoh right after Joseph was promoted he says Pharaoh gave him a ring which represented authority right he said then Pharaoh took the signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, 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 it's just, come on, somebody, and put a gold chain around his neck, so he looked like Mr. T. 
And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. You see that signet ring had a, had a, had a like a uh, design in it where he could take that thing and he would press it into wax like on a, on a law or a decree or something like that. And everybody knew, oh, this came from Pharaoh. But it was Joseph, really. He had the authority that came from the king or Pharaoh in this story. Right? The signet ring throughout history was the king's ring, and it held power to be able to make a law. Wouldn't that be convenient right now? Right. Just being able to say, what? Abortion? Ah, no, beep, sorry, that is nullified. Can't do that anymore, right? <laughs> so in Esther's story, remember Esther, right, and the way she went, Mordecai is awarded the king's ring to be able to do and he got it from Haman. Haman was the second in charge, and he was found out to be a liar, right? Y'all saw the play or the movie, right? Or read it in the Bible. Go figure, right? But anyway, Mordecai ends up with this ring, and he says, uh, King Asherus, who Joel played in a play, it was hilarious once, is speaking to Mordecai and Esther, and he says this, write a decree for the Jews as you please. Wow. That's some authority right there, just, you know. However you want this baby to look, go ahead and write it up. In the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. Boom! That's some authority. And here we are as sons, not servants. Remember, we're sons by position, not by what we do. You can't do enough works to qualify as the son of God. I just did. Right? You can't qualify by doing enough good works, by loving your wife, by blessing your children, by preaching enough messages, by taking care of your neighbor. None of that crap matters. We are sons by position. And we're sons by position because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. Are you with me? Are you clear on that? We have to understand it was Jesus' works that gets us to be sons. Not our works. And it's a gift. Just like the robe of righteousness, this is a gift as well. Okay? Uh, it says, it goes on here in Esther, it was sealed with the king's, king's signet ring for a letter which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring. Catch that last part. He says, no one can revoke. Let me say that again. No one can revoke. Not even the enemy, not even your parents, not even Joe Biden, right? So this kid, thank God, you're right about that. So the king, the ring that was given to the son and it was given to all of us when we were saved represents authority of the one who gave it. I want you to notice who gave that ring to that son, the father, just like the father gives us the same ring, you know, when the son came back. He was restored in the authority of the Father, right? So dealing with the enemy on any level, remember what it said in Esther there, using the king's name. So if we use the king's name, which would be the name of Jesus, we should be able to rebuke the enemy same as they did in the, in the word we spoke last week, 
Are you with me on that? So when it's not our authority comes from God. I'm going to jot that down in your notes. All authority comes from the Father, right? So how do we get that Father? Or how do we get that authority? Is it possible to, to lose that authority? Is it possible to walk without that authority? I would suggest that the son, when he left, didn't have the authority of his father anymore, right? So again, every week, what did Jesus say about it? Mark 1.22, Jesus says that, or is the Gospel of Mark says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having, say it with me, authority, not as the scribes. Jesus had this authority, right? In John 10, 18, he's talking about the shepherd and, and being a good shepherd and not allowing the fake shepherds to come in. And the New American Standard version of this, he says, no one has taken it away from me. He's talking about giving his life for the sheep, okay? Give it, he's talking about being crucified, dying, and, and he says, this, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. Talking about his life, this is deep. He says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back, right? At Easter time, uh, let me finish this. He says, he comes from the Father. Doesn't matter, right? And it's interesting, he's talking about his life here, and if you were around here at Easter time, we taught the cross series, where this verse makes a big deal, because in the cross, in that whole Garden of Gethsemane minute, Jesus, because of this verse, could have just said, I'm not doing this. He had a choice. He had to decide to lay his life down for his friends. Make, think about that for a second. Meditate on that for a second. Because if he didn't, how much trouble would we be in? Because we would have to all pay for our own sin. Amen, Pastor. That's good right there. So he received it from the Father. And then the Apostle Paul in, 13, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 he says, there is no authority except from God. All authority comes from the Father. Not from the government, not from the governor, not from your boss, not from your parents, from the Father. So where should we direct our attention when we're dealing with the devil? To the Father, you're right, because all of our authority comes from him, right? In Luke 15, the father delegates his authority by his ring, putting it on his son's finger. He delegates the father's authority right back to the son. Why? Because he came back, right? Now, the son has the exact same authority that the father does to be able to do whatever needs to be done. And he, well, does he have to ask about it? Probably not. I would, I would recommend that we pray, but I'm saying... The son has the authority of the father representing the father. It would probably be a good idea to know the character and nature and the attributes of the father so you can act in that vein. Just saying. Just saying. So let's talk about these uh, attributes of operating in authority, right? Number one on your handout there, humility. We have to be acting in humility to operate in the authority that God has given us. That doesn't mean you're big shot. That doesn't mean you're somebody. Well, they're going to call me to pray and bind and loose and, and this and that. That's great, but I'm saying we have to walk in humility. The quickest way to lose your authority is to walk in pride. 
And we don't think of ourselves less. We think of ourselves or as less. We just think of ourselves less. I mess that up every time. I should just quit. Right? So look at uh, Luke chapter 9 and 10 and, and listen to the humility of the Savior. Right? Listen to Jesus. He says in Luke 9, 1, he says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority to the 12 over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, he gives that to the 12. These guys should have been pretty serious about what they were doing. Would you agree? I mean, they're, they've been walking with Jesus and, and, you know. So he gives them that authority. But the most interesting part about that authority is in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus in verse 1, he says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he takes the 12, gives them authority. Then the crew of 70 shows up. And let me just tell you this. These 70, they're not the 12, right? These are newly saved Christians. They are newly saved babies in Christ, right? Look at verse 17 of what's happening. The 70 are sent out. Then they come back. And he says, then the 70 returned with joy. Wouldn't it be great if some Christians had some joy? Saying, I, I love this, this passage right here because I can just imagine Jesus, right? right? I don't know how you read the Bible, but you got to inject some comedy into it once in a while. They came back saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Can you imagine Jesus? Right? He's probably like, no, you're kidding, right? right? You kind of, do you ever see the uh, Chosen? Uh, it's like episode two where uh, it's this, the parable of the, the guy who gets beat up in the ditch, right? And it comes from the Good Samaritan, and it comes, they tell the story from the side of the guy who beat the guy up, right, and took his money. And it's hilarious because Jesus is ministering to this guy. And then they're laughing about it. And then the night after that, they're all eating dinner at the guy's house. Jesus, he had a leg issue, and Jesus heals him. Um, and then they're like, uh, they decide to get up and go, right? And he's like, it's getting late. We better get out of here. And Jesus looks at the guy and goes, you never know who's walking around on the roads wanting to hurt somebody. And then he turns to his disciples and he's going, too soon? Probably too soon, right? That was just funny. <laughs> so anyway, he says to them, uh, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, this is the best scripture in the whole Bible. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, say all, all, the power or ability in the Greek of the enemy and nothing, say nothing. nothing. Look at your neighbor and say nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is the most incredible verse because most people I've had theologians tell me, well, this authority stopped with the twelve. And I'm like, okay, read the rest of this verse. If, it, if he gave it to the 70, he gave it to us, right? How many times can you um, look at the word and follow the story through because the context thing is important? And now, he goes on here and he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Listen to the humility. 
of the Savior right here. He says, um, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Look at the humility. He's like, don't worry about how much power you have or how this authority works. Just thank God that you're in the book and you get to get in. We were talking about this the other day. It was like, I think it was at the gathering. We were saying, it's like, I don't, you know, the church and the growth and and all this great Christian stuff and all these abilities and the power from heaven and the bind and the loose, all these things are great tools, you know, uh, to have and to raise people and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and nothing can hurt us. It's all great, but thank God I get to go to heaven. I don't have to, like, be judged for my sin, which is a lot, like that lady with the the, gets caught in the, <laughs> an adultery. It's just like, and your sins are many. And you're like, Eesh, you had to say that, huh? Right? So it's like, thank God I don't have to pay for my own sin. Are you with me on that? So don't be prideful in it. Be thankful that your, your names are written in the book of heaven. And Jesus rejoices. He says, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, or just saying the prideful Pharisees and Sadducees, and revealed it to them, uh, revealed them to babes. See, at 70, they were newly saved people. And here's God loading them up with all this authority, and he's telling them to take it easy. Don't be prideful. Be thankful. Even so, the Father, it seemed good in your sight. It's amazing the humility that we can walk in to activate the power of God in our life. Activate the power of God in our life. Number two, on your hand out there, uh, this one's a little dangerous, and it's been twisted a little bit, but we're calling it faith. You have to have faith to operate in the authority of God, right? Matthew chapter 5, this is um, uh, pretty amazing. We're going to start in verse uh, 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. Why can't I think, you know, COVID fog or something? I don't know. Verse 5, he says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, Gentile, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord. Here's a Gentile calling Jesus Lord. I don't know about you, that's kind of weird, right? And he's a centurion, so he's a Roman soldier, Definitely not a follower of Jesus, but he's seen something going on here like, hey, I believe this, these scriptures right here should be a representation of your life in the world. People should look at you and see you, not call you Lord, because that would be prideful and nullify the authority in your life, but they should look at you and, and see something different about your life. Amen, Pastor. Saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. That's a fun word. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. This is amazing. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Do you think your declaration matters? What you're saying matters? For I also, that word also is important. Remember that word am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. 
um, and my servant do this, and he does it. He understands authority. He understands hierarchy and the way this works. He gets it, right? And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have, found, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I'm sure when he said that statement, he was looking at the twelve. I haven't found faith like this anywhere. Right. Staff, right. church staff, church people. Where you been? Probably was doing that neck thing that Joel can do, right? And I say to you, <laughs> that many, there's three people, three, all Gentiles in the Gospels that Jesus commends their faith. None of the 12, but these three Gentiles that get it. This guy, the centurion, is one. The woman with the issue of blood, you have great faith, I have made you well, right? And the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. All Gentiles, all three commended for their faith. None of the 12. Not John, not Peter, none of them. But those three are commended for their faith. It's interesting, I don't know, just interesting to me that the Gentile people, especially the centurion, who has probably been watching the miracles take place and seeing Jesus raise people from the dead and the Lazarus and all this stuff, he just sees them and he believes like that. That's amazing that he gets commended for his faith, right? Um, so faith, let's talk about this for a minute, right? It's been messed up, it's been twisted, it's been... You know, you don't have enough faith. If you're sick and, you, you know, you believe in, believe in God for healing, I hate those words, believe in God. It's like that's not faith. Faith is thanking God for the answer before you need it. We talked about this at the gathering too. Faith is belief, right? You can know the Bible from Genesis to maps and understand it and get the parables and get it and know it, but that's not faith. Faith is belief. What do you believe? right? Greek word pistis is the Greek word, right? Now let me read to you the definition of what it means, maybe, right? It's it, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it goes like this. It's conviction, it's confidence, it's trust and belief. The word faith in the Gospels in the New Testament is often uh, written as belief. What is the word I'm looking for? It's uh, translated. There we go. Belief. It's reliance. It's trustworthiness. And it's being, remember last week? Fully persuaded. You have to be fully persuaded to operate in faith. Um, it's a, a inward confidence, assurance, trust, and reliance on God in all that he says he can do. I love that. I want to um, have Tony, when he's back from Colorado, make a, a, like a thing on the wall, maybe somebody can paint it, that says, I am fully persuaded. Are you, let me ask you today, and you today, are you fully persuaded that God can do what he says he can do? Because we can see in the Gospels healings, 
deliverance. All these things that Jesus does, and like I said earlier, faith, humility, and the third one are all attributes of Jesus. So can't we, if he gave it to 70 babies in Christ, I think we qualify to operate in this authority, being fully persuaded and full of faith. Now, I'm going to be real for a minute, right? The Lord showed me this through the fourth person of the Godhead, my wife, who's the, another version of the Holy Spirit, kind of. But I was, uh, I think all of you know, I was sick, right? And when I, when, uh, when I got sick originally that first week, I was like, well, this just figures, you know. The enemy's trying to stop us on top of everything else that's happened with the building and the project and the city. Now this, and it was three weeks before we were supposed to launch. And I'm like, of course this is happening now, right? I want you to understand about that statement that I made, just being real, there was no faith in that statement. And I, I, and I would love to stand here before you and say I was supernaturally living spiritually through that whole sickness. Let me tell you something. When your flesh is sick and dying, there is no spiritual mindset. It's like, I'm dying here. Then you go to the hospital and they help you by telling you how bad you're doing. Right? It's like, oh, thanks. Right? I would love to stand here and tell you how spiritual I was through this whole process, but that wasn't it. Um, thank God people were praying. Thank God my wife was interceding because it was ugly. And like I said, it was the second time that the devil's tried to take me out on that same lung pneumonia issue. So I had completely lost my faith and my mind in this process. It wasn't good in it and thank God my wife helped me to get back in faith by number one praying, number two worshiping and number two speaking uh, declarations over my life and I reeled it in pretty quick I've been saved a long time but I'm telling you expectation is dangerous okay when people are telling you certain things and you're expecting certain things uh, be careful to stay in faith during that season. And the Lord showed me this. He said, being attacked because we are making a difference in this valley, right? We're, we're establishing ground. Our prayer from the very beginning, uh, even way back before we even got here, was that we're going to take back what the devil stole and we are going to be victorious in it. And during this whole time, being attacked might be normal, but losing isn't. Because God has purchased the victory for us. We just need to realize it and see it from the victory side. Yes. And while I was sick, I wasn't doing that. I was seeing it from the I'm defeated, I'm dying side. Which I'll just throw in. Isn't very healthy for you. Right? right? Because your mind, and COVID, you know, isn't fair. Uh, it takes away your breath. It takes away your strength. You don't think right. And it just messes with your mind on a level that I have never been through in my life. I've had pneumonia before. This was different. And it's still going on. Right? So it's not fair. So being attacked is normal. But losing isn't. The Lord reminded me of that. You're not losing. You're building a testimony in Jesus' name 
by the blood of the Lamb and my testimony to be victorious in it. And then he showed me Israel so all through the Old Testament. And it was amazing to me that you look at the Egyptians chasing Israel. God opened up the Red Sea. They traveled through. They got victory in it. They walked in the vision for how long? I mean, you guys are a testimony of getting out of prison and being victorious. Just because you're in this season now doesn't mean it's going to stay here forever. But stay in faith in the junk to be victorious later with the testimony to help somebody else. Right? You look later on through the Bible, you look at, at David, uh, Elisha, Elijah, all. I mean, everybody, everybody chasing them, trying to kill them. It's like it's not, we're not going to victory in the, the killing part. We're going to victory in the victory part that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and his testimony, right? It's just amazing to me. You look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Let me read this to you real quick. I don't think it's in your notes. 29, 11. Do you know Jeremiah the prophet's writing this when Israel's in bondage? In bondage. You may be in bondage today. Listen to what he writes. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. We are in bondage here. What are you talking about? Faith, looking forward, thanking God for the answer. To give you a future and a hope. We're in bondage here. We're under Babylonian rule. We are dying. We are suffering. Our children are, are being brought up in a place that we don't want to be. Future and a hope. And I'll go and win you. This is key. When you call upon me, and I go and pray to me, capital M, Lord, I will listen to you. Verse 13, and you will seek me and find me. Maybe a little seeking needs to happen, right? When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather from you all generations, from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Sounds like victory to me. We're not going to be in victory right now, but it's coming because I'm going to stay in faith. May not look good now, but I'm going to thank God for the answer. It's that declaration song. You can have everything, and I'm going to walk in this thing, and I'm going to have victory in this thing. How are you with me? Everybody okay? Yeah. Right? The shield of faith quenches every fiery dart. Ephesians 6, right? Full armor of God. All of that stuff is attacking. And I don't know, you know, I played hockey until I was in my 30s. Nothing on your backside. Everything's on the front side. Why? Because you attack through the front. They want to protect everything in the front. Nobody, if you're turned running, you deserve to get hit in the back. And these fiery arrows in the shield of faith Standing up before you, what's the shield of faith? Could be your confession, could be what you believe, it could be what's in your heart, but that's what's going to save you. That shield of faith is going to not, the enemy's going to shoot sickness, you're going to shoot depression, you're going to shoot these things at you, and that faith is going to deflect them. What's that shield made of? The Word of God. You use those scriptures in your mouth and make confession, it's going to change everything. I can tell you that because I've done it. Number three. Moving along here. Doing all right. Um, 
This is how you walk in authority, and it's obedience. Okay? Obedience. Matthew 21, Jesus again speaking. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, and let me just say, go back to the faith thing for a second. We are all learning how to walk in this thing. Right? And I've been saved 20, how old's Chase? 25, four years, whatever. And I'm still learning how this works. And I was going to go to Mark chapter 11, but I want you to read it on your own and listen to the faith being operated in there. Okay? So obedience. This is how you walk in authority. Matthew 21, verse 23. <laughs> and when he came to the temple, the chief priests and elders um, of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Interesting questions for these guys to be talking to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, I will ask you one thing. You gotta love Jesus, man. He'd be like, why, yeah, why, why, you just go away. Just get out of here. Let me ask you a question, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? I would, I would suggest uh, Jesus, you know, he's a little ticked off about the John thing, right? He killed my best friend. That's my family. So I want to ask you, what would you whack him for? They reason among themselves, if we say it was from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they count John as prophet. So the answer, Jesus has said, I don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. All right? Now, we read these parables, and, and context rules. This is not the end of the story right here. Look what he says in verse 28. And he says this. A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Chase, go work in my vineyard. And Chase answered and said, I will not, but afterward, <laughs> but afterward, he regretted, regretted it, and he went. So even though he said no, he went, okay? Then he came to the second son and said, likewise. He said, uh, and he answered, and he said, uh, Joel, go work in the vineyard. And he said, nope, not going. Not going to do it. And he didn't go. Right? Because he's rebellious, stubborn, full of pride, and all this stuff. Right? So anyway, then he asks the question. He goes, which of the two did the will of his father? Will of his father. Important phrase. Which one was obedient? Because all of us want to do the will of the father, right? So which one did the will of the father? And, and, um, and then he goes on here, verse 31. He says... And he said to them, the first. And then Jesus said to them, because the first one, he said a no originally, but then he went and did it. Then he says, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. All of us have said no to Jesus at least once. Probably. But then you repented and came into the kingdom of God and wanted to do the will of the Father. Simply just want to be obedient. 
When we're obedient, we're doing the will of the Father. This has nothing to do with works. This happens to be just doing what God wants us to do. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Clear as mud? Yeah. Right? We're not talking about works. We're talking about the will of God and being obedient to what he says, living like he wants us to live. So that when people see it, they can go, what is that weird thing you got? Why are you always full of joy? Right. Hopefully. Not necessarily my testimony, but it's okay. So let's keep going here. He says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. It's interesting if you read this story that the will of God is simple. It's laid out right before you, and yet we don't do it. But in obedience to the will of God, not a works mentality, but an obedience mentality to the will of God, we can activate authority in our life, right? All of these disciples, the 12, some have been obedient and some haven't. Remember, they came to Jesus with a problem. They couldn't cast out a demon, remember? And he said, Jesus told them, it's like, it's the will of the Father. Do the will of the Father, and you will have this authority, right? So all authority comes from doing the will of the Father. Harlots and tax collectors to the, to the first son who repented like all of us and then came into the kingdom and can do the will of God. The second people can't because they haven't accepted. They haven't come back to the Father. Amen? I knew a pal, I'm going to close with this story. There was reading a, a story, I don't remember who it was, but he was saying that there was a guy in his church who could stop an 18-wheeler with one hand. And I'm like, man, that's like Cap or Iron Man or you know, Captain America or somebody who stop an 18-wheeler with his hand. And he went on to tell in the story that the guy he was talking about who was a pastor on their staff uh, used to be a Texas uh, highway patrolman. So this highway patrolman had this badge, much like a ring, had a badge of authority representing the courts and the state of Texas to be able to stand in the road with his hand up and stop a 70,000-pound truck. Just because, Why? had that authority. Well, let me encourage you today. I think all of you know Jesus. We have in our hearts a badge of authority that we are able to walk in humility, walk by faith, stay obedient to God's word and what he said. And we can operate in the same authority that these guys did. Where our shadows heal people when we walk by. We can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. I mean, uh, I don't know if, you know, like uh, read the old stories of Kenneth Hagin and, and uh, Azusa Street. Yeah. I had a whole class in college on Azusa Street. They had the street behind where they were meeting was blocked off with wheelchairs, walkers, canes, crutches, all this medical stuff. It was just piled up behind this building from people being healed. Kenneth Hagin's crusades 
they would wheel people in in hospital beds with IVs and all this stuff. And these people would get up and walk out of the place. Amen. And they had a whole pile in the corner. Those are YouTube videos that show it. People standing up out of wheelchairs. Now, I'm not talking funky, crazy stupidness. It's, it's a real deal with people with real testimonies. You can see it on YouTube, I think. God's power is available. God's attributes are available for us. We should, as Christians, be operating in this stuff because God purchased it on the cross. When he, Jesus died, it was part of the deal. We can operate in those things, right? We can, we can do this, and we can operate in this thing, and it's not about us, not about looking great or having the power or doing all this stuff. Remember, we're thankful because our names are booked are written in the book of life, right? And we can do this thing. Are you with me? Let's stand up and pray. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to Bridge Church, Utah, Dot com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.